Hey guys, welcome back to the Freshy Fee Podcast. I know you miss us because due to the workload for for some of us, but regardless, we are back for a great purpose. The announcement of, of MMTF on the dual way of mask, but except needed mask on all settings, be it public transport and healthcare settings. This is the new episode of the Freshy Podcast. And we are going to listen to the MMTF press conference on the dual way of the mask with most settings except needing the mask required on the public transport and also the healthcare settings. Enjoy! Today we are in a much better position than before and the MTF and I would like to put on record our thanks to everyone in Singapore for doing your part and helping us get through the last two and a half years together. As we become more COVID resilient, uh, we are now able to take further steps to adjust our measures. So first, we will remove mask wearing in indoor settings from 29 August, except in two settings, and that is in the healthcare setting, and that includes residential care homes and ambulances, and public transport, which means the MRT, LRT system, public buses, and indoor transport facilities such as your MRT platforms. You may ask why specifically these two settings? And the reason is that we have identified areas where essential services are being carried out in enclosed and crowded spaces and which are frequently used by vulnerable persons. So, enclosed, crowded, and frequently used by vulnerable persons, especially essential services. And that's why, based on these considerations, we identified healthcare and public transport. Second, on vaccinated differentiated safe management measures, or VDS. Currently, VDS checks are required only for large events beyond 500 persons or for dining in at F&B establishments. You still need to be fully vaccinated, but businesses no longer check because the responsibility is placed on the individual and we do random spot checks. For now, we are retaining this approach. So for now, there's no change to this because vaccinations are still the best way to protect ourselves against severe disease from COVID-19. But we are reviewing our vaccination policy to transit to a system where we keep our vaccinations up to date. What does that mean? Basically, our current vaccination policy stipulates that you need to get your first booster no later than 270 days after the primary series. But we have not defined this for the second booster. And for that matter, there may well be future boosters. So we need a more enduring system uh, to define, uh, to talk about vaccinations uh, that are up to date on on an ongoing basis. And we are studying what that system should be, what that definition should be. And as we transit to this new system, we will at that stage also review and update our VDS requirements. So this is being studied and we will provide further updates when we are ready. Third, on border measures, 
we have for the most part opened up travel for fully vaccinated persons, but there are still some measures in place for non-fully vaccinated travellers. Uh, given the current situation globally as well as within Singapore, we think we can make some easing on this front, and Minister Gunn will elaborate on them later. Uh, aside from the SMMs, vaccinations and boosters remain a critical part of our strategy. The EC19V has met and has recommended boosters to a wider group of people. So Minister Ong and DMS will share more about this later as well. Uh, the further easing of SMMs and border measures is a significant milestone for us in our journey toward living with COVID. Uh, while many SMMs are no longer mandated, we urge everyone to continue to exercise personal and social responsibility. For example, elderly and immunocompromised persons should continue to wear masks in crowded indoor settings to reduce their risk of catching not just COVID but any respiratory inf infections. Individuals who are unwell should continue to stay home and avoid going out. And if they feel unwell, they should go home immediately to rest or see a doctor. Those who are close contacts of an infected case should follow Protocol 3. And if you have forgotten what Protocol 3 is, it means take an ART self-test and make sure that you test negative before going out in the next five days. Overall, while the situation is much better today, we also must be mentally prepared for any sudden change because we don't know how the virus will mutate and what the next variant will look like. It may be milder and we certainly hope it is, but it could also be more aggressive and dangerous. And that's why we are not standing down the MTF. We are continuing to monitor closely and we have drawer plans in place for various contingencies, including scaling up of our healthcare capacity, as well as stepping up vaccination operations if and when the need arises. And we also have multiple lines of defence, as all of you are aware, and which we can activate if needed. Border measures, as well as our SMMs 1 to 5, all of which can buy us time. Should there be a wave that is aggressive, dangerous for us, and we need to buy us time to get more capacity in place, or for that matter, to give everyone a second booster shot. I hope we will not need to invoke these measures again, but we know from past experience that this is a tricky virus and we have to expect the unexpected. So let's all be prepared and maintain our solidarity, trust and unity to get through this pandemic together as one united people. Uh, let me pass on to Min Ong who will share more on vaccinations. Thank you. Good to see everyone. Actually, we don't have to be seated so far apart anymore. <laughs> uh, I'd like to talk about preparing ourselves for the future uh, in this pandemic. Um, as DPM Wong said, there's every likelihood of a next infection wave. But when it comes, we need to be more prepared, more resilient than now. Um, but also to be prepared that the next wave may be of a different nature, a different VOC, um, a variant of concern. Um, so let me just talk about this next wave. In the past, a small proportion of our population has been infected with COVID-19. 
So when the new variant arrives, it will infect those who have not been infected yet, what we call COVID-naive individuals, and then it cause a big wave. And that has been the case for Delta, first Omicron, and then the second Omicron driven by BA.5. But now, based on our latest serology study by MOH, we estimate about 70% of our population has been infected with COVID-19 already, which means we now have far fewer COVID-naive individuals, which means when the next wave comes, and if it's a big wave, it must comprise many reinfections. It will be a reinfection wave. That is why we have been monitoring reinfection numbers closely, because it will give us an idea of when the next wave can happen. So far, our data show that after an infection, the probability of being infected again eight months later is still low. It's still very low. It's 5%. The probability is only 5% that compared to a naive individual, which is good, which is a good sign. Nevertheless, Reinfections are increasing as a proportion of total daily cases. The last time I updated in Parliament, uh, we reported 2 to 3% of our total infection numbers are reinfections. This month, it has increased to 5.5%. And we must expect this proportion to continue to increase because immunity gained from infections, prior infections, will wane over time. And there are fewer and fewer COVID-naive individuals, so that percentage must rise. Um, the Northern Hemisphere, namely US, UK, Europe, they are all prepared for a winter wave at the end of this year, and possibly even have to, having to deal with a new VOC. Our wave driven by BA.5 has just subsided, and that's, that will give us good protection for a possible year-end wave. Nevertheless, we should prepare ourselves against a northern hemisphere winter wave coming our way. And it may even be a new VOC with significant immunity escape. We need to be prepared. So our preparation efforts always lies on three fronts, SMNs, healthcare capacity and vaccinations. I'll speak on the last two because if we manage them well, then we can avoid restrictive SMNs. On healthcare capacity, we found ways to ease heavy workload in the hospitals by setting up the CTFs, the COVID-19 treatment facilities, and then we transfer lower-risk uh, patients there and moving long-term seniors, long-stay long seniors from acute hospitals to nursing homes and then open up the wards, uh, the beds in the wards in hospitals. What we have not talked about very much is a new category of facilities called the TCFs, the Transitional Care Facilities. So TCF is a dual-use facility, so it will be useful as we try to live with COVID as an endemic disease. So dual-use in the sense that if there's a surge in COVID-19 hospitalization during a wave, TCF can become a CTF for lower-risk COVID-19 patients. But as in the recent infection wave, where we noticed that people who are warded are not so much COVID-19 patients, but patients with all kinds of chronic illnesses. Some of them happen to have COVID. Then we use the TCF as a step-down care facility for non-COVID patients, including those who might be staying in the hospital waiting for nursing homes. 
So we have set up one some months ago, 164 bits, and we use the Sengkang, some wards in the Sengkang Community Hospital. It worked very well because it's next to Sengkang General Hospital, and the two facilities work hand in hand and manage to decan many patients from acute hospital to TCF, reducing the heavy workload in Sengkang. So now we are progressively converting Hall 10 of Changi Exhibition Hall from a CTF to a TCF. And that means by end of September, we will have a total of 364 bits for TCFs. Uh, next is our GPs. They continue to play a very vital role. They look after COVID-19 patients without severe symptoms. They are also prescribing therapeutics like oral antivirals. And these drugs reduce the number of infected persons who go on to develop severe illnesses and they lessen the load on hospitals. Another improvement in healthcare capacity is telemedicine. This has been very useful in preserving our hospital, polyclinics, and GP capacities, and allowing people to recover safely at home, but with uh, medical support. Um, right now, our telemedicine capacity is about 1,500 consults per day. We are ramping it up to about 9,600 consults per day to prepare ourselves for any possibility of future surges. Now let me move on to vaccinations. It continues to be very effective in protecting against severe disease and hospitalization. Almost 80% of our population had taken their booster shots. Um, and this is a key reason why we could ride through the current BA.5 wave without tightening SMMs without having many severe cases and without having our hospitals being overwhelmed. So to prepare for a possible year-end wave, we will have to expand our vaccination coverage. Um, there are three groups. Uh, let me take them in turn. The first group are individuals aged 60 to 79. Uh, MOH has accepted our expert committee, EC19V, we have accepted their recommendation that this age group will, should take a second booster, at least five months after their first booster. And this is a strengthening of today's arrangement where they are offered if they want to take it. Now is they are recommended to take it. Many have in fact taken it because they frequently travel, they are concerned about their own health, or they live with seniors who are vulnerable. Our data shows that after the first booster, vaccine protection against severe illnesses stayed strong for individuals in this age group. They have stayed strong, and that's one key reason why we could ride through the BA.5 wave. Nevertheless, it has been almost a year since this group had taken their first booster dose. And this age group is also at the age where they commonly experience onset of chronic illnesses and other health conditions. They should therefore proactively take the second booster before the next wave and not wait until their protection starts to wane significantly. Further, our data showed that for those who were offered and have taken the second booster, they acquired stronger protection. For those aged 70 to 79, effectiveness against severe disease has gone up from 94% to 97%. For those aged 60 to 69, this has gone up from 97% to 98%.
And we will continue to offer the second booster to all persons aged 50 to 59 who want it. And for those who are medically vulnerable and have received their first booster, regardless of age, they are also recommended to receive their second booster. That no change. Uh, we'll be firing out SMSs to eligible groups in the coming days. I urge all those who are eligible for their boosters, whether first or second, book your appointments at any one of our 10 JTVCs, our joint testing and vaccination centers, when you receive your SMS. I now move on to the next two groups. Both are children. Um, one is age boosters for children aged 5 to 11. The other is primary series for infants and young children aged 6 months to up to 5 years old. There's a bit of difference here. Usually when we announce vaccination policy, we announce it uh, and then days later we fire out SMS, then you can go and take uh, your, your vaccination. For these two groups, we are giving very early notice this time. Yeah, uh, I will explain. And this is because we know that some parents are concerned about children. So I think we want to give an update on the progress for these two groups and what we intend to do. Uh, so first group of children are those aged 5 to 11. We are extending boosters to them. Currently, they only take uh, the primary series. EC19V has reviewed the data on boosters for children and concluded that the benefits clearly outweigh the risks. DMS will elaborate further. Second group of children are vaccinations for infants and young children from six months to up to five years old. Young children, by and large, they are at lower risk of severe illnesses when they are infected. But I know parents are still worried as there have been uh, several children below the age of five years old who fell severely ill, including with MISC, after they were infected with COVID-19. And we also tragically lost two infants and two young children to COVID in the recent months. The HSA, our Health Sciences Authority, they have authorized Moderna's spike vax COVID-19 vaccine via the PISA route avenue, which is the pandemic special access route to children, including very young children aged six months to up to five years old. The current data showed uh, that the benefits outweigh the risks. To illustrate, for the Moderna vaccine trial involving 6,000 children, there were zero cases of myocarditis as well as anaphylaxis. And there's one case of febrile convulsion, which is likely related to the vaccine. So the, the, based on the trial, the incidence of severe adverse reaction has been very, very low. Uh, EC19B is still carrying out uh, an independent review of the safety and efficacy of the vaccine. A decision on the recommendation of vaccination for this age group will be made soon by the EC19. But if all goes well, shipment of this vaccine will reach us uh, in the fourth quarter of this year. And this is a two-dose regime administered 28 days apart. And this is the Moderna infant and young children vaccine. Separately, we are also considering the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine for infants and young children. And that one is a three-dose vaccine. The second dose given 21 days later after the first and the third and final dose eight weeks after the second one. So for the Pfizer-BioNTech, if approved, 
if administered, will take about three months to complete compared to uh, Moderna, which will take 28 days. We will time the boosters for those aged 5 to 11 years, as well as the primary series vaccination for infants and children, six months to up to five years old, together in the fourth quarter of this year. Because this will be after school examinations, after PSLE, and in good time before a potential year-end wave. And this is also for the convenience and for the convenience of parents with children in both age groups. Vaccination of both groups of children will be available at five new vaccination centers that we'll be setting up. Um, and we will provide details later. So as I mentioned earlier, we're giving very early notice this time for vaccination of these two groups of children. Um, in the past, we will have settled HSA approval, EC approval, shipment arriving, and then we will say announce, and then three days later, SMS fire up. This time we are giving very early notice because I think parents are concerned, and so uh, preparation work is ongoing. Uh, and, but I think whatever we do, it will be in good time before any possibility of a year-end wave. I now pass the floor to DMS, Kenneth Mark. Uh, thank yesterday, the 23rd of August, almost 93% of our population would have completed their primary vaccination regime. Amongst the eligible population of individuals aged five years and above, that figure is even higher, at just over 96%. Amongst children aged five to 11 years, just over 76% have completed their primary vaccination regime, with over 80% having completed at least one vaccine dose. Almost 80% of our population have taken their booster vaccinations. And amongst seniors aged 80 years and above, nearly 85% have received their first booster dose. The proportion of individuals between 50 and 79 years that have received a booster vaccination dose also exceeds 90%. In order to prepare us for a future wave of COVID-19 infections, uh, EC19V, as Minister has shared, has updated its vaccine recommendations. Uh, ministers shared that EC19V now recommends a second booster mRNA vaccine dose for all persons aged 60 to 79 years. The latest recommendation is for all persons now who are aged 60 years and older who have completed both their primary vaccination series as well as their first booster dose to take their second booster dose if at least five months has passed after their first booster dose. And this extends the eligible age range that MOH strongly recommends to take the second booster dose from 80 years and above originally to all persons aged 60 years uh, and older. The first booster dose does confer good protection against hospitalization and severe COVID-19 infection in persons aged 60 years and above. This high coverage of vaccination has uh, enabled our people to receive uh, both their primary vaccination and first booster, and to weather through the current wave of COVID-19 infection from the BA5 Omicron variant. However, as it's been over a year since we started administrating the first booster dose to persons aged 60 to 79 years, we expect that protection that we currently derive from vaccination to gradually wane. And we need to keep our vaccinations up to date to better prepare for a possible future wave of COVID-19 infections which may come as early as the end of this year. Minister has shared that our latest local data 
demonstrate that, that those who take a second booster dose acquire a stronger and longer protection against severe infection. This is also consistent with the international experience uh, uh, with second booster vaccinations. Minister has also shared that the vaccine effectiveness against severe infection rises from 94 to 97 percent amongst those aged 70 to 79 years and from 97 to 98 percent amongst those aged 60 to 69 years. And while this may seem to be a, a small change in percentage points uh, in the total population, uh, I'm mindful that uh, the, the overall numbers of patients, the proportion of patients who do get severe infection is relatively small compared to our larger population and that second mRNA booster dose actually reduces the number of persons aged 60 years and above from getting severe infection by as much as 50%. And this increased vaccine-derived protection will enable us to remain resilient against severe infection for that longer duration. Minister has also shared about chronic diseases and how chronic diseases increase our risk of severe infection in these relevant age groups. The second booster dose will protect those with chronic diseases further against severe disease. EC19V continues to recommend that med medically vulnerable persons uh, above, uh, who have a, a higher risk of developing severe COVID-19 infection, even if they're between 80 and 60 years of age, and persons who live in aged care facilities should also uh, proceed to receive the second booster dose following completion of their primary vaccination regime and their previous first booster dose. The second booster dose continues to be offered to those aged 50 to 59 years under the National Vaccination Program. We have seen some increase in vaccine effectiveness against severe infection even in this group. However, the overall risk of severe infection in healthy people in this age group is lower, so the overall benefit from a second booster dose is not as strong as in the older age groups. There's less benefit uh, seen for a second booster dose for the younger age groups at this time. So MOH is not yet offering a second booster vaccination dose for those below 50 years of age. And as Mr. shared, the second booster dose will be made available at any of our 10 joint testing and vaccination centers located across the island Eligible persons will receive their SMS notifications informing them of their eligibility to receive the booster dose and you may book your booster vaccination appointments as soon as you receive your SMS notifications. Concerning booster vaccinations for children aged 5 to 11 years, EC19V has recommended that these children should receive one booster vaccination dose and they may receive that booster dose starting from 5 months following their previous uh, vaccination. Our local data shows that in children, the antibody levels and the degree of vaccine protection against hospitalization for severe COVID infection does decline over time, as it does in adolescents and adults. And in this age range, the Pfizer-BioNTech-Cumanari booster vaccine has been shown to increase antibody levels to more than twice the levels achieved after completing two primary doses. In our local study of vaccination using this vaccine in children between 5 to 11 years of age, there was a lower incidence of adverse events following vaccination compared to uh, in older age groups. Most of these adverse events were mild and were similar in scope to that seen in adult populations.
There was only one case of myocarditis reported, which was mild, and this corresponded to a rate of 0.4 per 100,000 doses, which was far lower than that seen in the older age groups. The US CDC, in fact, reviewed their data of over 650,000 booster doses given to children 5 to 11 years of age in August this year, and did, did not report any cases of myocarditis in that series. So booster vaccinations is safe, and it will help to strengthen protection for our children against severe infection. MOH has accepted EC19's recommendations in full and is preparing to offer booster vaccinations for children aged 5 to 11 years in the fourth quarter of this year, as announced by Minister. And further details will be provided closer to that date. Minister has also announced that HSA has now authorized the use of Moderna spike vax COVID-19 vaccine via the PSAR route uh, to prevent COVID-19 infections in very young children aged 6 months to 5 years. The vaccine will be administered as a cost of two 25 microgram doses, which is a reduced dose formulation compared to that offered in older age groups. The clinical studies have shown that the antibody levels following two doses of spike vax administered 28 days apart as the primary vaccination regime in these children to be comparable to that seen in adults. The vaccine appears to be effective in preventing COVID-19 as for mRNA vaccinations in the older age groups, and we expect the vaccine to have benefit in protecting these children against severe infection. The risk of severe COVID-19 infection is generally lower in children, but severe outcomes do occur for some children infected with COVID-19. For example, our pediatricians at KK Hospital and at NUH have had to treat young children presenting to the hospital with breathlessness and upper airway narrowing as a result of COVID-19 infection, which can affect quite significantly the upper airways of this sick child. Other children have been admitted into the ICU for severe pneumonia or following recovery from acute COVID-19 infection for multi-organ inflammatory syndrome in children or MISC. Between 28th October 2021 and the 24th of July 2022, a period of roughly about nine months, there were 14 COVID-19 infected children hospitalized with the need for an, uh, enriched oxygen therapy. 23 children were admitted into the ICU to manage either acute COVID-19 infection or its complications, and 56 children were admitted uh, to hospital for MIC. Sadly, we've had two children dying from COVID-19 infection, both of whom were less than five years of age and were not vaccinated. The risk for hospitalization in infected children between five and 11 years of age was 1.3% amongst children who are not vaccinated against COVID-19, but only 0.4% amongst children who were vaccinated. And amongst children less than five years of age, the risk for hospitalization is even higher at 5.2%. And therefore, from the risk-benefit perspective, we believe that uh, vac vaccination offered to children, particularly less than five years of age, would have benefit in reducing the risk and likelihood of severe infections arising. The severe data, uh, the safety data from clinical studies shows that the type of adverse events seen in adolescents and children are similar to that in adults. The adverse events are not common, most are mild in severity, and similar to that reported with childhood vaccinations, such as injection site pain, fever, fatigue, and headaches. And these symptoms are re reactions generally associated with vaccinations, 
and expected as part of the body's natural response to build up immunity against COVID-19. These symptoms generally resolve on their own within a few days. Minister has shared that there are no cases of myocarditis reported in the clinical studies with the spike vax vaccine to date, but nonetheless, we will continue to be vigilant and we will monitor children following vaccinations uh, with the vaccines uh, for signs and symptoms of myocarditis, like chest pains, breathlessness, as well as uh, advising precautions to avoid strenuous uh, physical activity in the two weeks following vaccination. MOH's EC19V is presently reviewing the data on the use of the Spikevax vaccine in children between six months and five years of age. We expect a decision on vaccination in this age group to come out soon. If it is approved, we plan to introduce vaccination for this age group at the same time as booster vaccinations for children aged 5 years to 11 years of age. And we hope to administer these vaccinations for the two uh, pediatric age groups at the same vaccination centres for the convenience of parents and their children. As DPM has shared, vaccinations remain the best protection against severe COVID-19 infection. And we urge you to receive your booster vaccinations without delay if you are eligible to do so. The existing vaccines do provide a good level of protection. There is no need to wait for newer or variant-specific vaccines to be made available in Singapore. Ensuring that your vaccinations are up-to-date will be the best strategy to protect you against severe COVID-19 infection now and from new COVID-19 variants in the future. Thank you. Good morning and welcome back to the MTF press conference. Uh, you have just heard an update on the COVID-19 situation from uh, DPM Wong, Minister Ong, as well as the DMS, and the steps that we will be taking next. We have now brought the BA4, BA5 wave of uh, COVID-19 infection under control. Uh, let me join my colleagues in thanking Singaporeans for your understanding and your cooperation. This has allowed us to celebrate our National Day in almost the usual way, and it has also allowed us to now make further adjustments to our measures and progress along our journey towards living with COVID-19. However, we must uh, remain vigilant. Even though mask wearing will become optional in, selected, in most uh, indoor settings, we encourage everyone to continue to exercise social responsibility and caution. Mask up in crowded places or when interacting with vulnerable persons, including the seniors, the elderly and or the very young. Those who are unwell should stay home and avoid going out. Vaccination remains our main defence against COVID-19. And those who are eligible, please get your vaccination and your booster shots. Now let me move on to the vaccinated travel framework of VTF and the vaccination requirements for work pass holders. On the VTF, as the global situation of COVID-19 has improved, we will further adjust the VTF. From 28 August midnight, or effectively 29th August, we will remove the seven-day stay-home notice requirement for all non-fully vaccinated travellers entering Singapore. With the removal of this SHN requirement, these travellers will also no longer need to undergo an exit SHN PCR test. Since there's no SHN, there's no need to have an exit PCR test. However, they will still need to present a negative pre-departure test taken within two days before departing for Singapore. In addition, 
non-fully vaccinated long-term pass holders and short-term visitors aged 13 and above will no longer need to apply for entry approval to enter Singapore. However, we will require them to continue to observe the relevant VDS measures in Singapore. Next on vaccination requirement for work pass holders. COVID-19 vaccination will continue to be a requirement for the approval of all new long-term pass and work pass applications. For renewal of work passes, COVID-19 vaccination will continue to be a requirement for work permit holders and S-pass holders who are working in the construction, marine shipyard and process sectors or residing in dormitories, given the higher transmission risks in these settings. These changes will take effect from 1st October 2022. We have come a long way in our fight against COVID-19. With our support and trust, with our support and trust, we have been able to implement SMMs effectively, and we have managed to achieve a high vaccination rate. These have in turn helped us cope with each inf infection wave better, despite the emergence of new variants from time to time. My co-chairs and I would like to express our heartfelt thanks to all of you, and I would also like to reiterate our deepest appreciation to our frontline workers for their dedication and sacrifice throughout this journey. Even as we reach another significant milestone in living with COVID-19, the pandemic is not over. The risk of new variants emerging remains and which would spark another wave of infection easily. I encourage everyone to get vaccinated and boosted if you are eligible and continue to exercise personal and social responsibility to protect yourself, your loved ones and those among us who may be more vulnerable. The government will continue to monitor closely the situation and we must be prepared to adjust our SMMs from time to time if necessary. Let us all remain vigilant, adaptable and united and become a COVID resilient nation. Thank you. Thank you, Ministers and DMS. The time is now 10.14am. We will begin with the Q&A session. A gentle reminder that we will be taking only one question from each media during the Q&A. Please keep your question to today's MTF press conference. When the microphone is passed to you, please start first by stating your name and media outlet before posing your question. Salma, go ahead. Thanks, Mr. Wong. Good morning. I'm Salma Khalik, The Straits Times. I understand Singapore is getting the bivalent vaccine, right? Could I just get a bit more details? Are we getting the BA.1 or the 0.45 version? When can we expect them to come in and who is going to get those uh, vaccines? I know Kenneth said that for people 60 years and older, there's no need to wait for the new ones, but the newer vaccines give a lot more protection. So if you are 60, not travelling and not vulnerable, would it make sense for them to wait because the protection uh, difference is significant? Uh, thank you very much, uh, Slama, for the question. Uh, uh, we are making uh, uh, steps uh, to bring the bivalent vaccines uh, into Singapore once they are available. Our negotiations at this point in time uh, are with the, the principal vaccine manufacturers, uh, both uh, Pfizer-BioNTech as well as Moderna, uh, uh, for their bivalent vaccines to be made available and I understand that uh, this would be uh, the vaccines that uh, cover both the wild type 
as well as the Omicron variant, uh, which would cover uh, BA45. Uh, but uh, uh, more details will be made available as these arrangements are confirmed and, and mature. Uh, the time when these vaccines are, are coming to Singapore is not confirmed at this point in time. We anticipate this may be in the later quarter of the year, the last quarter of the year. But uh, as uh, we've seen uh, in the past, um, sometimes uh, delivery schedules may change and, and therefore it's not possible at this point in time for us to give with uh, absolute certainty when these vaccines will arrive. The risk for getting infected or reinfected still remains during this interim period of time. And while we may have seniors age 60 and above, who may feel that they have been infected in the past or recovered, uh, uh, or they are keeping to themselves and pay, uh, taking uh, precautions to avoid uh, uh, being in close contact with others, um, uh, they still will have a risk of, of getting uh, infection. And often we see uh, infections occurring in the household setting, not necessarily in people going out uh, uh, into the external uh, setting, but actually being infected at home as a result of loved ones getting infected, even kids getting infected, and secondary transmission then occurring in the household. So one should not be complacent. And if uh, your vaccine uh, is no longer up to date because your last vaccine uh, dose was more than 10 months, uh, nine months uh, ago, uh, it's prudent to think about getting your vaccination uh, as early as is possible. And that will provide you with further protection during this interim period of time and uh, as and when an, uh, a next wave arises. One should be mindful that while we expect the next wave to come perhaps at the end of the year, as uh, we had seen with our BA5 wave, it came a little bit earlier than what we originally were anticipating. And therefore, one could be caught off guard if you were simply waiting for the next bivalent vaccine to come, but then the next community wave of, uh, of uh, infections arise. So best to get vaccinated if you are eligible as soon as possible. The current vaccine is still a good vaccine and will protect you uh, uh, and give you adequate protection uh, and not to wait then for uh, a, a better vaccine with a delivery date that's still as yet not confirmed. Uh, anyone? Zhao Pao? Hi, good morning, ministers and the MS. Uh, this is Kang with Fonihe Zhao So we have seen the MOH actually start releasing figure for monkeypox and change it to a weekly kind of release. So are we seeing COVID stats being, uh, will you see the same thing as COVID stats, like there will no longer be daily release of COVID statistics or will this be continue on for, for a foreseeable time? Yeah. Thank you. I'll take that. I think as of now, there's still quite a lot of public interest to know about COVID stats. Um, we're not really um, going for zero COVID, as all of you know. So the, the number of cases is less important than number of people who are severely ill. And I think those numbers ought to still be a focus of, uh, uh, of MOH every day. How many people in ICU, how many people in wards. But the daily numbers still serve a purpose because by plotting the daily numbers, we know where we are in the pandemic and where we are on the curve. Uh, and so for now, I think it's still relevant. But of course, we look forward to the day where we treat it like influenza. And that hopefully the day will come. Any Maybe I question? can uh, just add on a small point. And that is uh, that uh, watching the number also help us to monitor whether there's likely to be a new wave, whether there are new possibility of a new variants arriving. 
and therefore these are numbers that we will continue to monitor. But uh, as um, Minister Ong pointed out, uh, the critical data actually is hospitalisation and ICU uh, occupancy rates. So it's a number that we have to watch for the reasons uh, Minister Gan also gave. Uh, but it need not be the headlines all the time. It is very relevant info, and since we are monitoring, we want to be transparent about it. It's in the MOH website every day. But just remember, from public consumption point of view, that's not the most important number now. Next question. Uh, Sherlyn, CNA. Hi, Ministers and DMS. This is Shalyn from CMA. So I have a question about uh, mask wearing. You know, some businesses, they might be able, they might want their employees to still wear masks in their workplace. So would that be able, are they able to enforce that? And at what point might be, or might me, be able to list, uh, to lift mask wearing completely? Or is that not plausible in the near future? Thank you. Sure, let me take that question. So businesses, employers, they have the discretion to decide whether or not they might want to do this on a workplace safety point of view, and there may well be a need depending on their settings. So that option remains because we are lifting the mandatory requirement for mask wearing, but it is optional. Employers may choose to decide. For that matter, in certain settings, industry regulators might also decide that it is a safety requirement. So for example, SFA will still continue with mask wearing as a requirement for food handlers, and that's to maintain good hygiene standards. Right? So to be clear, we are lifting the mandatory requirement. It's optional. In some instances, whether it's regulators or businesses may think it's preferred and they will continue to ask this to be done within their settings. But as we have uh, been saying, even if it's optional for individuals, we would advise people to do what's sensible and to take responsible steps. And if you're going out into a crowded place, if you're a vulnerable person, even though it's optional, best to just keep your mask on. Will there be a day where we will completely remove mask wearing? Well, certainly it, it may well come, but we, as we have always been doing, we take these things step by step. And for now, the pandemic is not over. We are in a much better position, but we certainly do not feel that it is appropriate for us to throw caution to the wind and remove all our measures. In fact, as I highlighted just now, we are already putting in place drawer plans in preparation and anticipation that there will be a new wave coming, perhaps in the winter, and we don't know what that wave will look like, but we have to be ready for all contingencies. From MOH's point of view, yeah. we do hope even when COVID totally become endemic, we keep mask wearing as a good hygiene habit. When you are sick, wear your mask. When you are very crowded and you are vulnerable, wear your mask. Actually, it will be a good long-term change in social habit. Yeah, that, that was the point I wanted to make as well. That uh, now actually we are getting used to wearing, uh, yeah, it's on. Now uh, that we are getting used to wearing masks, and going forward, even without COVID-19, when we are not feeling well, even though you have tested negative, please wear a mask if you do need to go out or need, need to go to work and interact with people. This is a basic public health hygiene practices, and we I hope that uh, this COVID-19 experience will help us uh, uh, inculcate that good habit. So, so in the long term. 
mandatory requirement, even the last two that we talked about may be lifted, but, but hopefully these good habits remain. That's what we hope will be a new normal for us in a post-COVID world. All right, next question. Um, Channel 8, I think, uh, Zishuan? Thanks. Thanks, Minister and DMS. Uh, I would like to follow up on the mask-wearing requirements. So in some indoor settings, for example, uh, conferences or concerts, people might be in close contact uh, setting for more than, you know, more than the duration where they take public transport. But uh, mask-wearing will no longer be mandatory in the future. So is that a concern on this? Also, can we request a Chinese soundbite on a second booster for elderly, uh, 60 years old and above, and also for children younger than five? On the mask wearing, yes, we know that there may be certain settings where it will be crowded. You talked about events and concerts. But um, as I highlighted just now, we are talking about crowded enclosed spaces but also essential services where vulnerable persons are likely to be exposed, more likely to be exposed. So if you distill down to these areas, I mean, events, these are not essential and I don't think you have a higher proportion of older persons who are vulnerable. But I think public transport, that's more critical and there will be elderly in public transport. They have to use public transport to get around. And that's why we think that's a more important setting. And likewise in healthcare. For these other settings, we are leaving it optional. But as I said just now, event organizers, venue operators may well decide on a case-by-case -case basis, depending on the settings, depending on the event, that they would still continue with masks as a requirement. Um Womantuji 我们还是有很大的保护避免这个严重疾病这是我们度过这个一波的一个主要原因所以如果我们要预先预备就是要预备能够迎接年底可能出现的另一个一波我们应该进一步的扩大我们的接种疫苗的覆盖率所以有三个
不好临时抱佛脚，现在就开始积极的去打。呃，第二组呢，跟第三组都是呃呃孩童，第二组呢就是五岁到十一岁之间的孩童，现在可以开始打追加剂。我们的冠病专家团呢，检讨了相关的科学数据，他们认为呢，这个之对这个年龄层追。呃，施打追加剂，他们的好处远远胜于风险。第三组呢，就是六个月大到未满五岁的幼童，接种也要开始接种冠病疫苗，因为这些幼童如果他们染上的冠病，大致上风险会比较低。但是我们还是看到有一些孩童呢。呃，得到严重的疾病，甚至在前几个月有两个孩童很不幸的身亡，所以我们现在卫生科学局刚刚扩大了这个 Moderna 的疫苗临的临时授权范围，所以这个疫苗将可以在用在六个月大至未满五岁的幼童身上。嗯，但是我们专家团现在还是用一个呃客观的。呃，但他们现在用开始展开独立的检讨，预期在预定呃，我们的预计在近期内会针对批准这个年龄层施打的疫苗以及相关建议做出决定，在不久后做出决定。所以，如果一切顺利的话，我们在今年最后第一季会得到这个疫苗的呃，会这些疫苗会。运来新加坡，我们也在打算呢，在所以在第四季，今年最后一季啊，呃，让这两组孩童开始接受追加剂跟疫苗，就是五岁到十一岁之间的孩童接受追加剂，六个月大至未满五岁的孩幼童接受基本的这个疫苗。我们把两组呢，我们想把两组一起。开始展开，就是在最后一季的时候才展开，因为到时呢，学校考试也完毕了，呃，我看家长也会比较安心，然后这也是未雨绸缪，在年底一波来之前就为他们打好追加剂，到时我们会设立五个新的接种中心，那家长如果有几个孩子的话，他们在两个年龄层中都有孩子的话，会给他们带来更大的方便。Thank you. Questions? Yes, the lady. 
And in a company setting, likewise, they will have to work out those uh, scenarios and they have to seek legal advice. But I would imagine in a company setting, if there are general compliance and employees also understand the safety need, I don't think employers will do it across the board. But if there are specific settings which is high risk and employers feel that for the safety of everyone, they would prefer to advise all their employees to wear masks, I would imagine that in Singapore, the compliance rate would be very high uh, and, and there won't be a, such a scenario that you talk about. Um, questions? Yes, I think the lady in, on the... Yeah. Uh, Sandra Ratzel, uh, ARD German Television. Um, I find it interesting that uh, Singapore is relaxing mask mandates the same day that the German Parliament will be discussing a law that uh, allows authorities to tighten pandemic measures, especially mask mandates. Um, and they are even discussing, you know, make that um, surgical mask might not even be good enough in airplane settings. And as far as I know, um, FFP2 masks have never been mandatory in, in any setting. Have you discussed that, uh, making it mandatory in vulnerable settings like hospitals because they give higher protections? Is that discussions that you're having? So, well, what was the last part again? Sorry, what was the question? Uh, the, the question is, uh, in, in uh, vulnerable settings, uh, the Germany is discussing to have FFP2 masks mandatory. N95 masks. Yeah, sorry, N95 masks mandatory, uh, instead of just cloth masks or uh, surgical masks. Um, does that make sense? Have you discussed that? Or is, why is it not necessary in Singapore? Uh, perhaps I'll, I'll come in as well and provide uh, just a few comments. We're quite aware of uh, Germany's approach. In fact, uh, the, uh, the, the German uh, uh, proposals to tighten up on the restrictions uh, are, are, are the tightest among all European countries. And many of the European countries still uh, uh, have a, a, a so much lower posture when it comes to the measures they're taking in the community. Uh, I was uh, just recently back on a work trip in, in Austria. And while there was a requirement for FFP2 or the N95 equivalent uh, mask uh, on public transport uh, and on, on uh, flights uh, and in hospitals. I visited a healthcare facility, uh, but in all other settings, uh, th th there was no requirement for mask wearing, and it's very similar to the posture we're adopting in Singapore. So, so uh, uh, different countries will adopt different postures based on their assessment of risk, and uh, uh, I understand that, that my colleagues in Germany are concerned about the, the potential threat from a winter wave, and having these restrictions and these uh, uh, measures put in place now in anticipation for such a time when the, the numbers of cases may increase again uh, in Germany uh, as winter comes uh, uh, soon uh, might be a prudent measure to take in Germany. And we fully respect uh, their, their, their posture and the plans they're putting in place to prepare for this eventuality. But in our setting, whereas we are coming out from a BA5 wave, uh, we think, uh, given the high vaccine coverage that we have, that the measures we put in place and the preparations we make uh, would be adequate for now, but we will continue to track and monitor the situation and decide whether further uh, measures uh, need to be put in place. Uh, we will watch carefully what happens in Germany and many other countries uh, and then decide what our overall posture should be. Uh, when it comes to masks, we had looked at uh, the different masks and whether we should require a, a, a higher uh, 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 rule requiring uh, the use of uh, N95 and FFP2 uh, uh, masks. Uh, 
Uh, but we had to balance it also with, with the fact that people are wearing this for, for long periods of time, and that has been the case in Singapore for, for quite a while. Uh, uh, and to, to, uh, to look at comfort issues, uh, the ability for the population, particularly those who are vulnerable and older, uh, to comply with, uh, with strictly wearing their masks in that sort of setting. And we decided uh, to, uh, to, to, to um, uh, sort of settle on, on a measure where we're just simply using the surgical masks. But masks are one step amidst a, 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 a basket of different interventions that will protect our population. We have found in, in general with the mix of different measures we've had, the use of surgical masks has uh, proven to be useful and adequate for our purposes. We don't necessarily discount the possibility that in the future, if there's a, a highly contagious and transmissible variant with airborne transmission, then there may be a need to review our mask wearing requirements. But at this point in time, we think we're still fine with the existing mask rules that we have. Thank you. Yes, the gentleman in front. Hi, Nelly from Bloomberg News. Um, can I ask for clarity in terms of what the mask policy will be in terms of airports as well as uh, planes coming to Singapore, as well as um, in terms of viral treatments for COVID? Um, I know you are doing um, studies on things like Lianhua Qingwen, for example. Is there any updates on that? Thank you so much. The last part, studies on? On uh, drugs like Lianhua Qingwen, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, treatment, okay. I'll take the mask question. Airports, that will still be required. Um, in, in indoors in, within the airport on planes, um, MOT will clarify eventually uh, later on. But I think the position is still for for masks to be worn. Partly because if you look around the world, when the planes leave Singapore and they go into different destinations, in fact, in many places, it is still a requirement in those destination countries for masks to be worn on planes. So. Airports and planes, for now, they are still required uh, to be worn. So these rules we are talking about are domestic rules. Uh, airplanes are international airspace. Yeah. Uh, with respect to your second question, uh, that, that study is still ongoing. We haven't received uh, news on the results of that study just yet. So I wouldn't be able to, to give you any uh, updates on, on whether or not that particular traditional Chinese product has been found to be useful for symptomatic relief in COVID-19 patients. On the gentleman in front, yep. Morning, DPM ministers and DMS. I'm Irshad from Tamil Nadu. Just want to check. Uh, you know, we are anticipating a year-end wave. You know, um, a new variant of concern. So, would you um, advise or um, suggest that Singapore residents exercise caution in their year-end holiday planning? And um, also, with regards to dormitories, um, the work pass holders, you know, currently, I think probably they have a popular places day pass or something like that. Uh, with all these easing of measures, would that be also reviewed and, um, you know, uh, taken off? Okay, thank you. For year-end activities, in fact, for any activity now, I think our general advice is for people to, as much as possible, resume normal lives, resume their activities, but where necessary, take sensible precautions. That means all the things we've highlighted before, if you're not feeling well, then please do not go out. Do not join in the activities. Uh, if you have been a close contact, then test before you go out. Uh, so those are very sensible precautions. You don't have to unnecessarily restrain yourself 
in the kinds of activities you participate in, but continue with these precautions. And then with masks, for example, while it may be option, it's no longer mandatory now, but if you are out there in a crowded place, many people, then you know, continue to wear the mask, especially if it's indoors, and especially if you are in contact with vulnerable persons. So we think we will continue, that's the kind of advice we will put out. Not so much to constrain our activities, but try as much as possible to resume normal lives, but you know, keep in mind these basic precautions which have served us well. And in fact, as we have been saying, many of these will perhaps eventually be part of our new normal too. Um, and, and then just be prepared that if things were to get worse, if the new wave were to come, if there is a surge, then we will monitor carefully. We won't just apply new restrictions because cases go up. We will have to look at the nature of the, the surge, whether it's a new variant of concern, what, how dangerous it is, and then we will assess and we will up, provide updates and decide what new measures to take at that stage. On um, the dorm workers and the provisions that are in place for them to go to popular places, uh, we have some safeguards, we have some measures. We will continue to review them uh, to see whether they can also be eased. But in the longer term, not just for COVID, in the longer term, we also want to make sure that there is a good spread and not a high concentration of people in a few places leading to other concerns, not necessarily COVID, could be security, could be congestion, other issues as well. So in fact, we are looking at how we can do more with recreational centers, for example, so that there will be more options for our dorm workers during the weekends. On the first question is actually very difficult question to answer. I'll just try to add a few points. Uh, we need to be able to respond to several, a few scenarios towards year end. Northern Hemisphere, they are indeed very worried about winter wave. So what will happen here in Southeast Asia and Singapore? One scenario, nothing happens. That will be good. Two is we have a wave, but it's another Omicron wave. Could be another variant of Omicron. In which case, I think we can be quietly optimistic, given that we just emerged from BA.5. Chances are you will have good immunity and protection against another Omicron wave. And it may well moderate a year-end wave if it's an Omicron wave. Then life can be quite normal. But what if year-end wave is another VOC? Something totally different, non-Omicron, great immunity escape then I think let's prepare for the worst, which is why it's important for us to improve vaccination coverage now in case the worst thing happens. Then let's us be prepared. If we need to put back our masks, even impose more strict SMMs, let's be mentally prepared to do that, which is why it's important for us to now take this move of removing masks. Because if this is a long battle, if it turns out to be a long battle, then we need to step down rules and we don't need them. So that we keep faith with the people. When the rules are not needed, we step it down. When they are needed again, we ask for the cooperation for everyone again. Then I'm sure uh, people of Singapore, we will all do our part.
Just a small point, I think you were asking also about how people might plan for holidays. Meaning Singaporeans want to go overseas. Well, it's the same basic mindset. No one can predict what will happen. So I think the basic mindset must be adaptability, flexibility. Uh, you, by all means, plan for your holidays in December if you wish. But know that anything can happen. A new outbreak can happen in the country that you want to go to and then you may have to adjust your travel plans. So think about all the ways in which we can be more resilient in our planning. Right? Because recognize that the situation is highly fluid and we have to be adaptable, flexible and be prepared to make changes. That applies to us as a country when we think about SMMs and COVID measures. It applies to us as individuals too when we make future plans. The gentleman behind. Hi, this is Eugene from today. So this is more of a clarification. So we have to wear a mask okay. on the public transport. But what about private hire and taxis? You know, so we've heard from drivers that they prefer their passengers to wear one. So can drivers uh, demand their passengers to wear a mask? Masks will not be required on taxis. Right? So that's not a requirement. The taxi driver can suggest, request, but there is no law to require. So to Salma's earlier point, this is not enforceable. There is no basis of law for the taxi driver to say you have to. It's optional. A correction on airports, I made a mistake. Masks are optional in airports. Masks are optional in airports. So just to clarify that, because it's, we, we've defined public transport, so buses, MRT system, LRT, but not airports, and therefore indoor airports not required. Airplanes, yes, because once you take off, you're not just talking about domestic law, you're talking about what is required when the plane lands, so masks are still, for now, required on a plane, right? Maybe I take a step back and just explain this policy from a public health point of view. Given the low cases now, high resilience, we are removing masks, but from a public health point of view, there are certain settings that we think risk are still high and masks ought to be on. And as DPN mentioned earlier, these are places that can be crowded, doesn't mean they are crowded all the time, can be crowded, uh, contact can be prolonged, it's enclosed, and chances are there will be vulnerable individuals such as seniors. And when you boil that down, really it boils down to two settings. One are all our healthcare settings, hospitals, clinics, polyclinics and so on, nursing homes. The other is actually public transport, namely buses and MRT. So taxis doesn't quite fall into those descriptions. Any, yes? Morning, ministers and uh, director. Uh, my name is Farid. I'm from uh, Brita Harian. Uh, my question is, how has been the response on the second booster shots ever since it was first introduced for those age group between 50 to 59 and onwards? Um, and uh, because it now it's approaching the uh, end of the year uh, where there could be a next wave, right? Kenneth, you want to take that? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I don't have uh, all the details concerning uh, those who currently uh, are older and already are recommended to have a second booster dose and what their, uh, their rates are. 
Uh, but we we are continuing to encourage them to to, to get uh, themselves vaccinated. Uh, I understand that, for example, in the the age uh, uh, group uh, for seniors above the age of 80, uh, uh, we, we've had uh, a steady uh, increase in the numbers of people coming forward to the vaccination centres to get vaccinated. Uh, but not at the same pace and rate as it was when they went for their first primary vaccinations and their first dose. Uh, um, so there will be at least uh, there'll be more than 40% of the population having get the, the, got that second dose. But because the, the pace of getting first uh, doses was uh, quite drawn out, not everyone within the, the, that age group, in fact, is eligible yet. So the actual per percentage of those who are eligible, having got that second dose, is going to be much higher. But we'll check on those numbers and we may provide the information then to the media. Yeah. Subsequently. Uh, having a quick check of the numbers, we have about 410,000 people taken their second booster. Every day we are still seeing about 3,000 people taking their second yeah. booster. So given that this is uh, not for everybody, those below 50, for example, are not generally not offered. I think actually the take-up rate has been quite good. Yeah. Questions? Yes, the gentleman behind on the right. Hi, this is Gatling from Ming. I just need to check on uh, when the food handlers, they need to wear masks, this part. Uh, who will constitute under the food handlers? Does it include waiters, waitress, food delivery personnel? Sure. There is a definition for this that SFA has. Food handlers meaning people who are involved in preparing the food, largely in the kitchen. It doesn't apply to waitering staff, uh, those who are simply bringing the food out and serving them. So that's an industry regulation. I think the industry understands this, and SFA will make that quite clear when it um, elaborates on the rules to the industry as well. Uh, yes, the lady in front. Um, hi, I'm Nazira from uh, Brita Media Corp. My question is um, regarding mask wearing in religious or places of worship. So, for example, in a mosque, um, there are quite a lot of um, elderly and then, um, those at vulnerable. So, um, is mask wearing still optional for these kind of places? Yes. So, the law will only specify the settings we have just described as being mandatory. That's what we have boiled down to based on the considerations and principles we set out. All other settings are optional. And as we have said just now, venue operators can encourage, um, they can advise, they may even want to say, if you want to come to my venue, it's re required, otherwise no entry. I mean, that's the prerogative of a venue. If you own the premise, you say, if you want to come in, you have these are the rules. Uh, it may be contested by the person who wants to come in, but then you, the, the venue operator has to check and make sure that he can do it from his own basis because there's no national legal backing for this. This is then something that the venue operator may choose to do. So just to be very clear, two settings will be required mandatory by law. Other things will be optional. And we, you know, for the various venue owners and operators, they can look at it and they can decide to advise or encourage people coming to their venues uh, to continue to wear masks. And this would apply, I'm sure, to religious organizations. They can decide uh, whether or not they wish to encourage uh, people to do so. Lady behind. Uh, hi, uh, good morning. I come from the China Central Television. My question is, uh, now we know the more and more people get infected. 
if the person gets infected how long period? He no needs to get a vaccination is still 270 days? No, it's uh, after you're infected for 30 days, we say if you want to take another vaccination, wait for 30 days minimum, minimum, before you take your next vaccination. That has been our rule and there's no change to the rule. I, I, are you asking today there is a requirement for your first booster to be done no later than 270 days from the primary series in order to be considered fully vaccinated. Are you saying if you were to have an infection after the primary series, for example, yeah. does it still count? Do you still have to get the first booster within 270 days? Is that your question? Yeah, my question is if I, for example, if person he already got the uh, first boosters, but after the first boosters, he, uh, he still get infected. And after the uh, infected, how long period? He okay, after the first booster you have infected, how long should you wait before you get your second booster? Understand? So, um, same rule apply. So, you should get your second, if you are in the age group huh, from today, 60 and above, you are recommended to take your second booster and you should still take it five months after your first booster. During the five months, you got infected. Yeah? Then our recommendation is wait at least 30 days more before you take your second booster. That has been our rule and no change to the rule. Okay. We will now be taking the last two questions. If you have a question, please raise your yeah, hands. The lady at the back. Hi, thank you. I'm Siti from Kyodo News. Um, now that you're easing up on the wearing of masks, but at the same time, you're still you know, watching out for future waves. So about the issue of uh, mass production, local mass production, since at the beginning of COVID, we had this problem where we didn't have masks to distribute to everyone. That was a concern then. So how about now, like people are not going to buy masks. So how are you going to, uh, are you going to support the local production of masks in Singapore for future? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the, we have been building up some local capability, be it for masks or other essential supplies. Uh, I don't think the easing of requirements will mean there will be less demand. Yes, it may impact, but uh, as we have been saying, just because we are easing some requirements doesn't mean we are removing all mask mandates. Masks are still required. And if you recall, when we lifted the requirement for mask outdoors earlier on, today that is the situation. You look around, just walk outside. How many people continue to wear masks outside? Because, not because of a mandatory requirement, but because they think it's the sensible thing to do. And I think that's encouraging that people continue to take sensible measures, recognizing that the pandemic is not over and therefore they ought to take these precautions. And I'm sure this will apply too when we ease the requirements for masks indoors. I don't think from next Monday onwards when you go indoors, suddenly you will see everybody without masks. I'm sure what will happen outdoors will similarly happen indoors. Yes, some people will take it off, but quite a number of people will say, 
look, I think it's sensible to do so. It's no longer mandatory, but organizations may say, let's encourage. And I'm sure a good majority of people will say, well, we understand, let's continue to wear, uh, not because of the requirement of the law, but because we think it's the responsible and prudent thing to do so. So for the time being, I think demand for masks will still be all right. And the mask producers should continue to be able to sell their masks to people in Singapore. Can I just make a quick comment? I don't want to prolong the discussion on this. Uh, the, the key is that the local production also has to compete quite uh, uh, fiercely with imported masks. And today, as you can see in the market, there are a lot of masks that are imported. So it's not uh, just serving the local market alone, and the local market cannot support the entire industry alone in the long term. And beyond the COVID-19, you will still have a mask requirement for the hospital, healthcare facilities. And as I mentioned earlier on, we continue to encourage people when they're sick, do wear a mask. So I think the mask consumption is likely to be higher than before COVID-19. And uh, these facilities also have flexibility to switch different mask products. They may switch to other uh, uh, similar products so that their business continue to be viable. So I think we will leave, it, leave the businessmen to make uh, business decisions and uh, our decision must be focused on the public health concerns. Final question. Yes. Uh, we mean from CNA Digital. My question is more of a clarification, actually. Sorry to go back to the issue of uh, mask wearing on flights. Just to confirm, the press release annex actually outlines some circumstances when a mask is not required, such as on an outbound flight from Singapore to a country where the rules don't require masks to be worn on planes. So can we just confirm the precise situation for this? Thank you. Um, just, just to, uh, coming in, just to clarify, it, uh, the, the, the flights are international and they uh, are influenced by what the rules are or the law is in the country, the destination of choice, as well as the carrier, because the carrier may uh, have uh, a requirement imposed uh, based on its country of origin as well. So where there's a, there's a requirement, a mandatory requirement for must be worn, it's mandated, the must must be worn on the flight itself. However, in some countries, for example, the states, uh, 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 mask wearing may not be mandatory, and in fact, uh, that requirement has been now made optional. Uh, then in that setting where countries do not enforce, they do not require mask wearing to be worn, flights to those destinations uh, will not uh, require mandated wearing on board the flight, as long as the carrier has no such requirement as a condition for travel on that particular carrier as well. Yeah, so thanks for the clarification. I should have made clear. I, it's required only because most countries still do today in terms of the destination countries, but we know that there are a few that don't. And so the NXB makes it clear if, they, if the destination countries do not require, then the flights do not have to. And that was a press conference from the MMTF. On 29 August, this is a day where we unmask for the very first time on both indoor and outdoor settings because we're living towards an endemicity of COVID-19 in Singapore. However, we'll be putting the mask on on public transport and on healthcare settings. With that being said, we'll come to the end of this episode of Fresh Week Podcast upon our return. At one moment, please take care of yourselves and each other because we'll struggle together, Majula. Take care, everyone.